classes in memory of Jared Orchen. And we will today learn about Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai. Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai was a leader during the time of the destruction of the Second Temple. One of the greatest Jewish leaders. Really, what it's written about him is just unbelievable. He lived to be 120 years, and Kabbalah tells us that he's a reincarnation of Moses. There are four people who lived to be 120 years. Moses, Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, who else? Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva, who else? Hillel. Four people. And all these three are leaders like Moses. <coughs> Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai, the first year he was doing business, if you want. The second, um, it's written like this. Four years he learned Torah, four years he taught Torah, and four years he was the leader of the Jewish people. That was Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai. He was alive during a very difficult time for Jew in Jewish history, when the Jewish people lost the second temple. They lost because it was a lot of fights, inside fighting in the Jew by the Jewish people. The outside fighting comes because of inside fighting. And he was a leader that he had hundreds and hundreds of students. It's written that when <coughs> on holidays and used to speak, there was no room, I'm sorry, there was no room in Jerusalem who could, who could uh, bring all the people together that he used to speak in front of the of the temple, of the temple, the Beta Migdash, because the shade from the building covered on the people. That was, that it was so tall that the shade was good for the people to live to be there because they from the protecting them from the sun. That's how powerful of a, of a leader and a teacher and a rabbi was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaka. The temple was still there. The, the temple beginning? was still there in the beginning. Yes. And he was in the beginning, he was a rabbi somewhere in the north. Then he moved to Jerusalem, established a huge yeshiva, and he was very powerful. He was a disciple of Hillel the Older. Wasn't he the youngest disciple of Hillel? Very good. He was the youngest disciple of Hillel the Older, and he became his replacement, his uh, successor. Obviously, he was a very great disciple. But what is known the most is he taught the Jews how to live without a temple. You know, the whole thing was sacrifices. Everything was living around the temple. Suddenly there is no temple. Now what? And he told the Jews, don't worry. We have the Torah. We'll take the Torah and we'll go anywhere we have to go. You know, the Ark of the Covenant had sticks. And the mitzvah in the Torah is you're never allowed to remove the poles from the, from the ark. Even when the ark stands in one place for a thousand years, you cannot take off the poles. One of the spiritual lessons of it is, why it says poles, you can always pick it up and move on. We are not attached. Yeah, we want the, we love Israel, we love Jerusalem, but it does mean that the Jews, if we are thrown out of Jerusalem, that it's the end of the Jewish people. This way of thinking was established by Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai. And on the other hand, after the destruction of the temple, he established many laws, Zecher Lamigdosh, to remember the temple. For example, it used to be a law that uh, the, we take a lulav and etok for seven days of Sukkot. During the temple time, thank you. During the temple time, it was in the temple, they used to take it for seven days. Anywhere else, 
They used it only for the first day of Sukkot. After the destruction, Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai said, we will do it for seven days everywhere, Zecher Lamikdosh, to remember the temple. And he, then he established more things. Then it was all about people were going on and, and, and mourning the temple, like in a crazy way. He says, guys, let's not overdo it. We are mourning the temple, but we move on. That was a very practical leader, as we're going to read about him. We will start from the end of his life, and then we'll go to the beginning, to more earlier in his life. It's an, we are start, we're starting from the Tractate of Brachot. Brachot is the first tractate in the, in the Talmud. It's 28b2, for anybody who will ever want to follow. It's in the middle of the first column, the third paragraph in the first column. Another incident. Want to read? Right here. And uh, when Yohan ben Zachai took ill, took ill, his students entered to visit him. When he saw them, he began to weep. He started to cry. Rabbi Yohan ben Zachai took ill. How old was he? Under the twenty, right? <laughs> the students were around 95 and a half, you know? <laughs> I mean, he had many students. Rabbis like this have students very young and very old. This is people who have students, generations of students, not one generation, generations. The students came in. How old the students? I don't know. But they were all ages, all stages. This is in Yavna. It's this obviously, is, obviously was in Yavne. Abiyachon okay. lived in Yavne, probably. I don't think he lived anywhere else. Was it roughly 10 years after the destruction of the, of the uh, Second Temple, or a little less? I think more even. Huh. He, he, he stepped for a while. Abiyachon Bezakai was the leader of the Jewish people. After a while, after the destruction of the Temple, after things were established, he stepped down and he gave Rabbi Gamliel to be the leader. That it doesn't mean he died right away. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, you were just back of Yavna. Who's the te um, they wanted to siege Jerusalem, the Romans, I think, right? That's we'll get to there. But did, when he died, it was, it was already after everything. Oh, this is bad. That's that's where it was already in Yavna. Yes. Okay. Okay. His students said to him, "Light of Israel, rightmost pillar, why do you weep?" Mighty Amel. It's three expressions. To show how powerful he, uh, what they think of him. Light of Israel is the light of the Jewish people. They call them Ner Israel. Amuda Imini means the, 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 the pillar, the right pillar of the Jewish people that cares for the Jewish people. Why are you, why are you, are you why do you, you weep? Why are you cry? They told him, You are such a great leader. You cry? What are you crying about? What do you have to cry? You had such a life. You did so much good. You, you, affect, you affected the Jewish people until today. We do things today because of Be'erhan HaMezakai. Then what are you crying for? Okay. He said to them, If they were leading me to judgment before a king of flesh and blood, who is here today and in the grave tomorrow? Who, if he becomes angry with me, his anger is not an everlasting anger. And if he imprisons me, an imprisonment is not an everlasting imprisonment. Let's stop right here. He says, he gave him an example. He said, if I, go, if I would go now in front of a regular king, then he cannot, that he's not living forever. Every human being today dies, tomorrow we don't know. Even he's angry, it's not forever because he's not forever altogether. 
And when he puts me in a jail, it's not forever either. And when he kills me, he doesn't kill me forever. Go ahead, continue. Go and if he put me to death, and his death is not an everlasting death. Because there is afterlife. From a, a person kills another person, he dies here. Doesn't die forever. There's a famous story about the, the previous Lubavitch Rebbe. He was, in, he was arrested by the communists in, by the Soviet, in the Soviet Union in 1927. And the <coughs> interrogator told him wanted to, he should, he should answer questions. He didn't want to answer. He picked up the gun and he told them, this toy made many people talk. That the Rebbe told them, this toy made people who have one life, one world, and many gods, they're afraid of this toy. Somebody who has one god and two lives, two worlds. What are you saying, you're kidding me? So, there's afterlife. That's what he says here. Here, even if a king kills you, he doesn't kill you forever. The death is not forever. It's a physical death, big deal. I mean, we all want to live, don't get me wrong. Like, and, we like, want, yeah. and we want, and we want, and in Judaism, life is very important simply because only when you are, when you are alive, you can do mitzvahs. You cannot do mitzvahs <coughs> when you're dead. You can only do a mitzvah, you can help another person, you can put on film, you can pray, you can give charity only when you're alive. That's why every minute in life is so precious. But there is afterlife. Go ahead. And I am able to appease him with words and to bribe him with money. Even so, I would weep. Now, I would be afraid. If I would go and vote of a king who is going to judge me and my behavior all my life, even a physical king, I would be worried. Now... Now that they are leading me before the king who reigns over all kings, the Holy One, blessed be he, who lives and endures forever and ever, who, if he becomes angry with me, his anger is an everlasting anger. And if he imprisons me, imprisonment is an everlasting imprisonment. And if he puts me to death, his death is an everlasting death. I am unable to appease him with words, nor to bribe him with money. Let's stop by... When he says, God, if, he, if he's angry, he's angry forever. Whatever it is, it's forever. And you cannot give him money. You know, we can bribe God. You know how you bribe God? By doing mitzvahs. There is a way to bribe God. You do more mitzvahs, that's how you bribe him. But you cannot bribe him physically with money. God doesn't need your money, right? And you cannot say none, uh, false things to, to make him look good. I shouldn't be afraid. And on top of it, he says... And not only that. Before we get there, yeah. when he talks about an everlasting imprisonment, is that the idea of a permanent hell? Whatever it is, whatever God is doing, it could be forever, right? But usually, according to most Jewish thought, at least, you're right. Year, yeah. it's temporary. You're right. It doesn't mean that it was in, that in the, but it could happen, right? Mm -hmm. That's the idea. It could happen. It doesn't mean that we, anybody is in is suffering forever. No. You want to continue? <coughs> but and, but yeah. there but there lie before me two paths, one of the Garden of Eden and one of Gehinnom. Gehinnom means hell. Hell has a different meaning in Hebrew than in English. Hell is not what you read in the newspapers and in the movies and in the this. What is hell? Cleansing. <laughs> Cleansing. What does this mean? Hell means 
When you come to heaven, it's a place that you see what you accomplished with your good deeds. It's like you're in a dark room doing life. You do things, you go, you go. If you don't know if you go away from the table, from the, from the door, or you go get closer to the door. You go further away from your destination, or you get closer to the destination. Suddenly somebody flips the light. And you see how close you are, or how far, how far away from him. And then you say to yourself, Oi vey, what a waste of time. I could do so many good things and get closer to God, and I wasted my time. That's what hell is all about. For example, somebody is going to college for four years and had, had a party and didn't do anything with his time. And then he's uh, four years old and he's still going to change a job. And he says, ah, I regret my now that I didn't do this. And it's too late. In afterlife, it's too late. You, can, you, can, you cannot change things around. It's like, you know, if a rabbi goes and um, steals something in the grocery store and the camera picks him up and then they show it at 6 o'clock nose. <laughs> That's hell. You understand what I'm saying? He doesn't need hell. Hell on earth. Hell on earth, exactly. <laughs> hell means that you realize what was important, what was not, and it's too late. It's too late, you cannot change it. That's the problem. The only one who can change it are the people who live in this world. Now you have to wait for mercy. They should do a mitzvah for you. That's the point. And that's what he's talking. He says, Abi Yochanan ben Zakkai was not sure if he's going to heaven or he's going to hell. The greatest man of the Jewish people, the, 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 the description that the Talmud has about Rabbi Yochanan Mezaki, he never, he never wasted a minute. He never, saw, he never had a conversation for nothing. He never, nobody ever told him hello. He was the first one to say hello to every human being. Like you read about them, you cannot believe that a human being can even reach them. He's worried to go to hell. What's wrong with him? And he's crying. And, and finish it. And I, and I know <clears throat> not on which day will lead me. And should I not weep? Should I not weep? I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to hell. What is this? If Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai doesn't know where he's going, <laughs> where are we going? <laughs> I think we all know. Why I started with this? Because this is so difficult, this story. Like, I would look at him and say, Rabbi, Rabbi, are you kidding me? <laughs> but it was, it was too close to his death. It was not a time to make jokes. They walked in minutes before he died. And that's what he tells, he cries. They tell him, the light of Israel, the this, the this, you're crying. He tells him, yeah, 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 I'm crying. I'm not sure where I'm going. He's not sure. He's under 21 years old. And he's worried because he doesn't know where he's going. Why, why do you think he's uh, that worried? <laughs> you want the answer right away? <laughs> okay, the same page. We'll continue on the bottom. That's a copy from the next page. They said to him, our teacher, bless us. They told him, basically they told him, Rabbi, we didn't come here to hear your problems. <laughs> we are not at a therapy session. Give us a broche. You almost, tell us. <laughs> And he said to them, May it be the will of God that the fear of heaven be upon you, like 
like the fear of flesh and blood. Okay, let's stop right here. They said like this. He said to them like this. May the fear of God be as big as great than you. You should feel it like the fear of people, of flesh and blood. It means to say you should be afraid. Of, he tells his disciples, who are 97 and a half, <laughs> you should be afraid of God as much as you're afraid of your friend. It's a little insulting, you know. Telling another rabbi, should be afraid of God as much as you're afraid of another person. He tells you, I'm afraid of God a million times more than afraid of people. What are you telling me? That was like, and like, that's what you have to tell us. Like, that's the profound message that you have to tell us. Minutes before you die, they came to you like they told them, Rabbi, tell us something that you never told us before. Tell us something that will be. Oh. What he tells us, you should be afraid of God. That's much afraid of people. They go, really? That's what the answer there. His student. His student said to him, This far and no more. That far? This is it? That's what you have to tell us? <laughs> should our fear of God not exceed that of a mortal man? That of mortal man? You should be afraid of God as much as you're afraid of my friend? This is it? That's it? <laughs> he said to them, Would that it were equivalent to you fear of man? For then you would desist from many sins. He said you will, if you will be afraid of God, as much as you are afraid of people, you will, you guys will not sin. That's simple as that. And he explained right away what he means. Know that this is so, for, we'll continue. For when a person commits a transgression in private, he says, oh, that a person not see me. Uh-huh. Oh, 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 that's too complicated. You're running away. <laughs> this is the punchline. <laughs> when a person says, what is he saying to them? Every one of us behaves in front of others different than he behaves in, his, in, a, in a room by himself. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that it's bad. The reality is you behave more of a mensch in front of other people. Mm -hmm. That he says, you should be you should have the feeling of the presence of God as, ma as physical and as realistic as you have the presence of a human being. That's an unbelievable achievement and an unbelievable level of feeling. If you feel that God sits here, would you be so worried? What is there to be worried? God is lying on your right, your right hand. Why we all going? It's not only about being not sinning. It's all, it's an everything. I know he, gave, he told them, I wish you, I give you a blessing. You should have an, <laughs> an awareness of God as much as you have an awareness of a human being. This is an achievement that very few people, if any, can reach. God is here, then what is, he, what is there to be upset about? You're all worried. It's also on the, on the bad side. Got, you, you don't feel God is here. Therefore, you allow, allow yourself to sin. If God would be in front of you, he would behave differently. If he would feel the presence of God in the room, he would forget about God. An important person is in the room. A very important person that you're very... If the Rebbe is in the room, the moment the Rebbe is to walk in the room, everybody behaves differently. I can tell you that it was in a split second, like this. All the fights, all the arguments, everything stopped in a second. Because the Rebbe is in the room. If he would feel God is in the room, 
that what he said here is something very profound. He says, I, you should feel God as, as real, as physical, as tangible as you feel a human being. Then you, you'll, be, you'll have a different life. This is, the, this is the key for a good life, if you want, for the most relaxed life. The whole day we go around worried and this and what's going to be. So God is sitting here. What are you worried about? What happened to, to the love, Rabbi? It's nothing to do with love and fear. It has to do with the awareness of God. Having an awareness of God in, the, in, in your life. If you would, if he would have an awareness of God, it would be love, would be fear, would be everything. God is here. That's what a tzaddik is. A tzaddik is somebody, said before of a rabbi, a tzaddik is somebody, a rabbi is somebody who has awareness of God in his life every minute. He talks to you, it looks like he talks regular stuff, but you see that he's, he, lives, he lives on a higher level. He has an awareness of God. He, he doesn't waste his time, he's serious, he's focused, he's not, he's not upset, he doesn't lose his world, he doesn't say stupid things, he's, not, he's focused because he has an awareness of God. He has a sense of a mission that he has to accomplish. It all comes from an awareness of God. If he, and that's what Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka is telling them. He says, I wish you should have an awareness of God like you have an awareness of a human being. There is a Hasidic story about a Jew, a, a Rebbe that gave his chosid the feeling he should say, you, he gave him a blessing. I'm sorry, he gave him a blessing that he should feel God like an angel. He couldn't survive it. He used to hide behind the bed under the building. If God is here, I cannot move. I cannot, I cannot bow, but I, can, I, I cannot do anything. Then he came to his rabbi and he said, take away from this, this, this present. I can't take it. I cannot survive. God, so to speak, hides himself, covers himself up. If the sun, if he would be very close to the sun, he wouldn't survive a minute. Because we are so far from the sun and there is so many layers in between, we can enjoy the light and not to be burned. And when you go outside and it's too light, you have to put lotion, right? You have to cover up. It means to say there is a certain awareness that it's too strong. But the, that's when you, but an awareness that achieves on your own, that's a healthy awareness. And everyone comes on his own level. And that's where a journey of spirituality comes in. Everyone on his own level of spirituality. Two people, everybody's doing the same mitzvahs, but the awareness of God is completely different for every human being. Somebody with different experiences in life has a different awareness of God. My father, who went to so many tzores in Russia and so on, he had a different awareness of God than many, many other people were sitting with him together in the room. They were doing the same mitzvah. His mitzvah was a different mitzvah. When he ate matzah and he remembered how in, in Russia he, couldn't, he, 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 was, he was starving not to eat chometz, it was a different Pesach. It was a, everything was different. That's an awareness of God. That's what Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka is telling him. Then the Brise continues. <laughs> Go ahead. At the moment of his passing, he <coughs> said to his students, remove the utensils because of the Tumah and prepare a seat for Hizkiyahu, king of Judah, who has come to escort me. Two interesting things he told them before he died. Minutes before he died, and the second before he died, he tells them, remove the utensils because a person, a dead, a dead body, makes in the room is impure, that everything is there becomes impure. Mm -hmm. That if you're in the time of the war, careful with purity and impurity, it, it also removed the utensils, it shouldn't become impure. The old nines, utensils were expensive and so on. But the second thing is even more interesting. It says, 
What he says, Popira chair for his kiyar, the king of Judah, who came to escort me. We learned a few weeks ago about his kiyar, remember? King of Judah, he lived, you know how long he lived before that? How many years before that? 500 years before that. Yeah, well, secular time even more, yeah. Yeah, 500 years for sure. Why should Fikhiskiah come to see him? I have a few people, candidates, I can send them other ones. Why not Hillel is Rebbe? Why not King David? What is Fikhiskiah doing here in this story? Why Fikhiskiah out of anybody? Fikhiskiah come, put the chair, Fikhiskiah, the king of Judah is coming from heaven to ask me to heaven. Why Fikhiskiah? Do you believe he's the Messiah here? So if he believes the Messiah, that's why. Hezekiah, God wanted to make him the Messiah. He wasn't the Messiah, remember? No. So? He's not a, he's not a, he's he was a good candidate, fine. Mm-hmm. But Rabbi uh, Yohanan is a good candidate. There were a few more candidates. So, but why him? I mean, it's like, why Hezekiah? Then we have two questions. Why is he afraid? Why is he afraid to go, that he will go? He's not sure where he's going. And why Hezekiah? Now we're going to learn from the Talmud, from a different tractate, Gittin. Gittin is a tractate that speaks about the world's law, but in between there is other things too, obviously. And it's in Gittin on page 56A3. We will start um, on, on the second column, the, the Gemara returns to the central narrative. This is a story, I'll tell you where the Gemara is. The Gemara is here telling a story in Gittin. There's the whole few pages describes the destruction of the Second Temple. And the time of the destruction of the Second Temple, there were two camps in Jerusalem. One camp, no, don't worry, top of the page. The, and and uh, one camp said, let's give in. There was a siege around Jerusalem. The Romans came and made a siege around Jerusalem for close to three years. And the situation in Jerusalem just got worse by the day. There is no food, no food, starvation, terrible. And one camp said, let's sur- surrender and finish. The other camp said, the Biryonim, they were called, the Zealots. They said, no, sur- no such thing as surrendering. And if you surrender, guys, we will kill you guys. And there was enough. They wanted, they, they said, let's go to war. And the other camp said, no, we don't want a war. We don't want a war. We'll force you to go to war. They went and they burned all the food that was available in Jerusalem. Storages of food that was, could support Jerusalem for 20 years, 21 years. They burned down to force the Jews to go to war. Then there is two camps in Jerusalem, and things are just getting, and the, and the, and the zealots are they're in control, as usual. They were standing by the gates of Jerusalem, didn't allow anybody to go out and make a negotiation or anything. Anybody who was taught that he wants to make a deal, was considered a collaborator, and was killed. It was terrible what was going on in that days in Jerusalem. When we say that Jerusalem was destroyed, the second temple, because of Sinat Chinam, um, baseless hatred, it's not, you know, we talked about each other, we were not nice to each other. <laughs> it was a war in Jerusalem. There were 20 groups, everybody killed each other. It was terrible. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka is caught in this, he's the leader. He wants to make peace. But the Biryonim, the zealots, don't allow it. The head of the zealots is not other than his nephew. 
Rabbi Yochanan's nephew, you know, in the good family, smart people, to go this direction, this direction. His own nephew is the leader. Now we'll read what the Gemara tells us the story. Abba Sifra, the head of the Baroni in Jerusalem, was the son of Rabban Yochanan ben Zachai's sister. His nephew. Abba Sikra was the head of the Birionim. Birionim is the zealots. The, and he was the, the Rabbi Yochanan ben Zachai's nephew. Go ahead. Rabban Yochanan ben Zachai sent the following message to him. Come to meet me in secret. Abba Sikra came. Rabban Yochanan ben Zachai said to him, How long are you going to act in this way? and kill everyone through starvation. He said, what are you doing? Don't you see where is this is taking us? He tells his nephew, forget about all the politics. Don't you see what's going on here? Everybody's dying from starvation. There is no food in Jerusalem. It was terrible what's going on. People died on the street. Go ahead. Abra Sikra said to him, what can I do? If I say anything to the barony that is contrary to their agenda, they will kill me. They will kill me, he says. At this point, even the leader, if the leader moves away from the agenda, he will be shot. No chokhmas. That's already too, it's bigger than him. Rabbanan Yochan ben Zachai said to him, Find a way for me to get out of the city. Perhaps there will be a small measure of salvation. He says, let me, Rabbi Yochanan Zachai tells his nephew, I need to get out of the city to speak to the Roman officer. Maybe we can do something. Maybe we save something. Abra Sikra said to him, make yourself out to be sick and let everyone come and ask about you. Then take something that smells bad, such as the carcass of an animal, and lay it down next to you in your bed so that people will say that you have died and your body is beginning to smell. He says the only way you can get out of Jerusalem <laughs> is if you are dead. <laughs> Why? Because the law is that in Jerusalem you're not a, there is no cemetery in the old city. Because in Jerusalem nobody is being buried and on top of it no, you don't leave overnight a dead person in Jerusalem, in the old city because it's a holy place and, and as we said death brings yeah. impurity mm-hmm. Tuma. Then he says <clears throat> the only way is you have to pretend that you are dying. You're dead. Then we'll talk. Go ahead. Yeah, please, continue. Okay, Okay. then let your students enter and take hold of your bed and carry it out. And do not let anyone else enter and carry your bed, so that they will not detect that you are the unexpectedly, that you are unexpectedly light. Okay, you know what he says here? He says, let all, by the way, since then it became a tradition, that the disciples carrying the, the, the coffin of the Rebbe, and he says, let only your student who know the secret, because, you know, it's called dead weight. Mm-hmm. It's a real thing. Okay. A living person is lighter. Says so anybody else who carry your covenant, says, this guy is moving, he's <laughs> not so happy, something is wrong here. He says, let your students, two students actually, later as we see, will carry this coffin. Nobody else touched it. Fine. Go ahead. Uh, for the baronet, know that a living person feels lighter than a corpse. Rabbi, mm-hmm. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai did as he was advised. Uh, Rabbi Eliezer entered and took hold of his bed on one side, and Rabbi Yehoshua on the other side. They carried the bed to the gate of the city. Here what happened. They announced Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai is sick. A few days, everybody saying, tell for him, he's praying for him, he's sick, he's getting sick, he's getting sick. He died. He died. His two disciples, the great disciples who learned about them last week, Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Yeshua, right? The great, the two guys, the two stars. 
They came, they knew the secret, they took the coffin from two sides, he's inside the coffin, and they're killing him, they're going, it's a whole funeral, all Jerusalem. Rabbi Yochanan, the Rabbi, the great Rabbi of Jerusalem died, the whole city is there at the funeral. They're coming to the gate to go out. We're standing by the gate, the Biryonim, the Zealots, the, the, the gatekeepers. Go ahead. When they reached the gate, the Biryonim, who were guarding the gate, wanted to stab Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai with spears to make sure he was really dead. Oh, they said... They said, we will see if he's dead. We will check him. We'll help it out. <laughs> Abba Secret said to them, shall the Romans say that the Jews stabbed their rabbi? You see, Abba Secret was, was the leader of, the, of them. He said, he, he was the, the boss. He was the head of the, of the, he was the officer. He said, we should stab our own rabbi? Are you crazy? We cannot, we cannot do such a thing. The Baronet wanted to shove Shove Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai to see whether he would cry out. Abba Sikra said to them, Shall they say that the Jews shoved their rabbi? When he's dead, you cannot give him the last respect, like mentioned. Right. You have to move him around. What is this? The Baronet finally opened the gate for him and he was carried out. They had no choice. They opened it. Was, the pressure was too big. Too many people were waiting to move on with the funeral. They allowed them to, to take him out from Jerusalem. When Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai reached the Roman camp, he said to Vespasian, Vespasius, Vespasius was the Roman general who was in charge, was, he was putting, he was the one who was in charge over the siege around Jerusalem. He was the top general. Finally, he got out of Jerusalem, he got out of the coffin, and he bent like a human being to meet the general. He says, I want to see the general. They should, they took him there. He came, he came to, the, to the general. You want to continue? Uh, peace be upon you, O king. Peace be upon you, O king. He approached him as a king. He told him, peace be. Told him, you king, welcome. Hello, king. Shalom, king. That's what he told him. The Spatians said to him, you are liable to death on two accounts. For I am not a king, and you are mocking me by calling me a king. Furthermore, if I am a king... Why did you not come to me until today? Let's stop right here. First of all, it's not because you're mocking me that I'm a king. No. That's, I, I don't know we really got this translation. If when you call somebody else the king, you are rebelling against the king. You understand? That's, the part. That's why you wow. deserve that. If you call, the king is here, and I call the other person the king, that I, that I deny I, the, the acceptance of the king, the king deserves that for it. And number two, he says, if I'm the king, we were you until now? Mm -hmm. I'll stop right here. There is a little story about the Hasidic Rebbe. You know, we say, and the Amida, and the, on Shabbat, we say, um, we, we start, Amelech Yoshev al Kisei Ron Venisa. Right? There is a line that we say, the king who sits on his great uh, throne. And on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, this line is even more... Um, because Rosh Hashanah is God is the king and that the story is that once a guy the rabbi, Hasidic rabbi get up to lead the service, came to the world of Melech he fainted he says, what do you fainted? he says, God the king is asking me if I'm the king will we until now that's fine you say, you come and you pronounce king the great and awesome and mighty king God says, yeah really no. where were you yesterday? I was waiting for you then what Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai answered them? 
said to him, to that which you say, I am not a king. Next page. For the truth is that you are destined to be a king. For if uh, he said you are destined to be a king. <laughs> Why? What's, what was the proof? Go ahead. For if you were not destined to be a king, Jerusalem would not have been delivered into your hand. For it is written, and Lebanon shall fall to a mighty one. The term a mighty one is interpreted here as meaning nothing other than a king, as it is written elsewhere. Okay, let's stop right here and explain the point, then we'll continue to it. It says Jerusalem will also fall in the end of a king. If you're not a king, you wouldn't be able to conquer Jerusalem. That that's how you can conquer Jerusalem, that's the proof to me that you're a king. Jerusalem doesn't fall by a schlepper. It's too, imp too important of a city. Only a king, if God wants to destroy Jerusalem, brings the top. It has to be one against one. You know, we're fighting with uh, Only a king will be able to destroy Jerusalem. Now he brings a proof from a few verses that it proves that he talked Lebanon is Jerusalem and Nadir means a, means a, means a king. In, go ahead. Well, as it is written. As it is written elsewhere. And their mighty one shall be one of them. Etc. And their ruler shall emerge from their midst. Scripture describes a ruler, meaning a king, as a mighty one. And the term Lebanon is interpreted here as nothing other than the temple. As it is stated elsewhere in reference to the temple, the fine mountain, the temple mount, and the Lebanon, the temple. Thus the verse, and Lebanon shall fall to a mighty one, teaches that the temple will be conquered by a king. One of the explanations that the temple is called Lebanon. Lebanon is a country not far from Israel, right? Mm -hmm. But Lebanon comes to the word Lavan. The job of the, what the job of the, you know, on Yom Kippur, used to be in top of the temple, used to, used to hang up a red thread, right? And how they knew that God had forgiven the Jewish people. Okay. The red thread turned white. It means the job of, of the temple is to whiten the sins of the Jewish people. Sins is compared to red, and, and, and purity and tshuva is compared to white. That's why Yom Kippur will wear white clothing. And the idea is that the job of the temple is to purify, to whiten the sins of the Jewish people. But the point is, what I want to say is, he told them, you are a king. If you wouldn't be a king, you wouldn't be successful. Okay. When you, you mentioned the white and everything, so you're saying the, the, the Lebanon was white then, right? That's, a, that's another story. That's another oh, yeah. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Um, okay Rabbi, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai now responds to Vespasian's second accusation. And to that which you asked me, if I am a king, why did you not come to me until today? The answer is the Baryane. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Biryone. Biryone. Among us, do not let us leave the city. Vespasian said to him. That he told him, I wanted to come, I couldn't. He said, why well, didn't come until now? I couldn't come until now. Vespasian said to Rabban Yachanan ben Zachai, if there was a keg of honey and a dangerous snake was pursuing it, would one not break the keg because of the snake, i.e. so that the snake will go away? Likewise, you should have destroyed the walls of the city so that the, the uh, Berianae could be driven out. He said, you have to help us from inside, you have to break the walls and let us in. <laughs> 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 
finish it, Rabbi Yochanan? Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakai was silent. He was silent. What is he going to tell him? Now, this thing that he was silent is a discussion later between the rabbis, hindsight 2020, if it was the right thing that he was silent or not. Go, go ahead. Uh, the Gemara comments on Rabban Yechanan ben Zakai's silence. Rav Yosef, or some say Rabbi Akiva, recited the following verse about Rabban Yechanan ben Zakai. He turns wise men backwards and makes their thinking foolish. There is a verse in the Bible that says that God turns wise men backward. Sometimes a holy man and a wise man will say the wrong thing because God turned it around. God wanted to make him this way. He says, basically, Rabbi Akiva is complaining that he had to give a better answer. He says, what a shame. He gave the wrong answer. He, he was silent. He shouldn't be silent. What should he say? Go ahead. This, uh, he should have answered Vespasian, if a dangerous snake were in pursuit of a keg of honey, we would take tongs, grab hold of the snake and kill it, and we would leave the keg intact. To Vespasian's argument that they should have destroyed the city, doctors, uh, they should have destroyed the city walls so that the Baryanei could be expelled. Would one not break the keg? Rabbi Yechanan ben Zakai should have responded that they were waiting for an opportunity to drive out the Baryanei without having to destroy the, the city. city. He said he should tell them, he should tell them, you know, later. Right. He why didn't tell them this way? Why? Okay. What, that's all going on while Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai sneaked out of Jerusalem having a, a private meeting with, with patients who was the general who is in charge of the whole Roman army who was making the siege around Jerusalem. Go ahead. Um, the narrative is resumed. In the meantime, a messenger for Vespasian arrived from Rome. He said to Vespasian, Arise, for Caesar has died, and the dignitaries of Rome said that they have decided to appoint you as a leader. Ah, not bad, huh? Good timing. Rabbi ben Zakai pulled a real miracle on him. It's not just good timing. Only it's, it's, it's not good timing. It's, it's prophecy. It's just, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Josephus in, in his mm -hmm. life tells the same story, basically. Really? I didn't yeah, know that. same story. He tells uh, Vespasian, really? you're going to be the king. Really? Uh, I didn't know that. And... and you know, yeah, same, we, same we, thing yeah. we believe that most of the things Yosefus heard were true. Yeah, absolutely. And this part, that's a rabbi. He showed them, he told the patients, you're not messing around with a regular guy. He saw that what he told them, you're a king. They're just right there. A messenger arrived, the king died, and the parliament in Rome decided to appoint you as the, as the king, and they're sending somebody else to be a general. Wow. That's talking. Go ahead. Uh, Vespucian was wearing only one of his shoes at the time. <laughs> he attempted to put on the other shoe, but it would not go on. He then attempted to take the other shoe off, but it would not come off. He asked Rabban Yohan... Oh, he said, he was with one shoe? On or off? He cannot put on the other shoe? He cannot take off this, this shoe? He said, what's going on here? He said, you were so smart, maybe you can help me with this too. <laughs> He asked Rabban Yohanan ben Zakkai, what is this? My high, what is this? What's going on here? Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai answered him, do not be perturbed. Your shoes do not fit because you receive good tidings. The joy of hearing good news makes a person's body swell. <laughs> you, be, you got faith when this thing, when you hear that you become the king, 
You you gain a few pounds. I mean, you 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 swell. You <laughs> swell. You swell from naches. You swell from joy. Yeah. Nobody, no, none of us gets fat from food. That's only from joy. <laughs> from naches, from good As it is written, good tidings fatten the bones. Exactly. So what is his uh, your remedy? And what should they do? He says, let a man who you dislike come and pass in front of you. <laughs> This will cause the swelling to subside, as written. He said, bring somebody that you really don't like, <laughs> and he will take away from you all the excitement in a minute. You just see him, and you'll be upset again. <laughs> and broken spirit dries the bones. Exactly. When your high spirits are broken by seeing this person, your feet will return to their normal size. Vespasian did this, and his shoe went on. Wow. Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka was... Two for two. Whoa, exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. Vespasian then said to Rabbi Yohan, and since you are so wise, why did you not come to me until today? Rabbi Yohan said to Vespasian, and did I not answer you? Vespasian said to him, I also answered you. Vespasian said to him, I am going back to Rome, and I will send another man to take my place. So ask me now for something I can give you. He told him, because you were, the, you were the one who gave me the news that I'm the king. And he was so impressed with him. He saw he's talking about a very, very special man. He says, ask me, ask me whatever you want. Ask me what you want. I'll give you something. I'm leaving to Rome. Tell me what you want. Okay. Rabbi Yehan said to him, give me the town Yavina. Of Yavne. Yavna and its sages. In his sages. He says, you know, you want to destroy Jerusalem. Go ahead, enjoy it. <laughs> but let anybody who wants to run away to sneak out to Yavne. It's a city in the south of Israel. And let us establish Jewish life here. Don't kill all of us. We don't, you want, you, what do you want? You want, Jerusalem is against you. Fine. Take Jerusalem. But let us live. He's been criticized for, for not wanting one more. Sec one second. <laughs> That's one thing that he asked him. He says, give me Yavne and the scholars. Allow us to survive to open a yeshiva in Yavne. To continue life without the temple. That's what he's really doing. Go ahead. He says, the second thing is I'm asking you. He asked for me three things. Number one, give me, allow Yavne to survive. Number two, give us the family from Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel was the family of the priests, of the, of the leaders of the Jewish people. They were from the house of David, the sentence of David. It was very important to the Jewish people that the continuation of the dynasty, the lineage of David should continue as the leaders of the Jewish people. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel was killed. His father was killed because of this war. Somehow, by the Biryonim, by the Romans, whatever, he was killed. Rabbi Gamliel, the son, was later actually the leader. That Rabbi Yohan said, give us, save him, don't kill him. Please do me a favor. We need to continue the dynasty of the house of David. That's number two. And number three, he asked him a third request. And the doctors. The Gemara comments on Rabban. No, 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 no. One more line. Underneath the line. The first line underneath the. And doctors to cure Rabbi Tzodek. Oh, there's another condition. Oh, and doctors to cure Rabbi Tzodek. Uh, the Gemara comments on Rabban Yochanan. One second. What was Rabbi Tzodek? Rabbi Tzodek was a, was a holy man who fasted for 40 years. Every day he broke the fast at night. That Jerusalem shouldn't be destroyed. 
and he with his fasting kept Jerusalem from being destroyed. And he told them, I need, we need doctors to cure this man. Then he asked him for three things. Give me Avne, save Rabban Gamliel, and give me doctors to cure of Tzadik. He gave, it, he gave him all these three things. There, now, were, there were multiple rabbis that were predicting that the temple would be destroyed for Predicting is one right? thing. <laughs> protecting is another thing. <laughs> Bad predictors, we have many. We didn't need rabbis for it. Now comes the discussion. The Gemore comments on Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka's request. Go ahead. No, no, you. Okay. Uh, the Gemara comments on Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka's requests. Rav Yosef, or as some say, Rabbi Kiva, recited the following verse about Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka. He, God, turns wise men backwards and makes their thinking foolish. Rabbi Yochanan Bezaka should have said to Vespasian, "Leave them alone this time." That is. He should have beseeched Vespasian to spare Jerusalem. He says, he, the guy tells you, what do you ask? What is your wish? You should say, save Jerusalem. Give us another chance. What is he asking for? Yavne, yeah. the genie in three wishes. Yeah. <laughs> ask the important thing. Rabbi Akiva still looks back and he says, Rabbi Akiva was in the same generation. Than what he, the discussion was later, obviously. He says, why did you were standing in front of Vespasian? God made you be able to do such a miracle to you impress them so so amazingly and he tells you already what's your last wish what's your wish knock it what can you lose the Gemara explains you continue talking <laughs> the Gemara explains why Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai did not request the salvation of Jerusalem but Rabban Yochanan ben Zakkai thought that Vespian Vespasian might not fulfill so great a request, and then there will be, and then there will not be even a small measure of salvation. He basically said, therefore, okay, read one more line. Therefore, therefore, he requested smaller favors, which Vespasian would be more likely to grant. He said, I will ask for everything, and I will get nothing. And then there is no second chance. You ask for one thing, he said, no, this is it. But he says, I better save the rabbis. They can go to Yavne, then ask for everything and get nothing. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> but you see, some the rabbi said it was a mistake. Mm -hmm. they, were, they weren't there. And Shakoyach, I know. <laughs> he, they're saying he should have tried. Basically. He should have tried. <laughs> some explained. Remember, we said we were worried. We were discussing why Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai was crying before he died. He didn't know if he's going this direction or this direction. Mm. Think he didn't think Some people, some rabbis say that Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai for the rest of his life was always questioning himself mm -hmm. that he asked the right thing. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I should have asked for saving Jerusalem. That's why he was crying. He didn't know which direction he's going. That's one explanation. We'll get to the next one, but that's, what, that's why he was, he was worried. He, he always was doubting himself. Did he make the right choice? Inside now, when we look back now, he made the right choice, obviously. Sure. But he, to himself, because he had rabbis to criticize them, and he himself was not sure. Forget about it. Maybe, maybe. You no. Know, many times you ask yourself, you're doubting yourself. Maybe if I would just say this, if I would just do this, if would... Imagine he goes to the Vespasian and he says, you know, give up your siege of Jerusalem. You're, you're now the king. Uh, he's not going to be the king for long as soon as he tells everybody else, I've let Jerusalem off the hook. This is true. That's what Rabbi <laughs> Yochanan Mezakai was thinking. 
what maybe Hashem is creating a moment opportunity. And that explains also why Hizkiyahu came to visit them, to, to escort them. What does the story of Hizkiyahu, what does his dilemma? He had the same dilemma. Hizkiyahu was, Sancheri was skunker in Jerusalem, right? <coughs> there was two camps in Jerusalem. One camp said, let's surrender, right? Hizkiyahu said, no. Isaiah the prophet came and Hizkiyahu asked him, what should I do? They say we should surrender. They are the majority. Isaiah told them, no, God says you shouldn't surrender. You'll have miracles. But Hizkiyahu took it to the other direction. You understand what happened then? Hizkiyahu was in the same seat, on the same city, 500 years ago, with the same dilemma, with the same siege. And he made even the other direction. Clearly by a prophet, Isaiah came and told him that. That when Hizkiyahu comes to see Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka, so to speak, I made the right decision at that time, you made the right decision in our time. It's both of them in the right time, in the right place, that was the right decision. That's why Hizkiyahu came, because it was like, it, he basically tells him I was on the same, uh, the same boat. I know exactly what you went through. But there is a Kabbalistic explanation, a Hasidic explanation, why was Rabbi Yochanan Mazaka crying before he died? The Rebbe used to say it many times. The Rebbe said like this, the Rebbe said that a tzaddik, a true holy man, a leader of the Jewish people, does not give himself the luxury to think about his own spiritual journey any minute of his life. Every minute of his life he's asking himself, what can I do for the Jewish people? There is another Jewish child in Chulon who doesn't learn Torah, and there is in Tzfat something we have to be done, and there is in Jerusalem. Rabbi Yochanan Mezakai was the leader of the Jewish people. He was busy, beyond busy. But he never gave himself the luxury to ask himself, is he holy enough? Is he righteous enough? Did he or did the right thing what Hashem wants from him? Or maybe there is something he has to correct in himself. The minute before he dies, he stops. That's the time to think about himself. And he asked, and what's with me? I was busy with everybody else. What's with my spiritual journey? Did I really cleaned up my inside? Yeah, I did all the right things, but do my evil inclination, do I still have in my life the inclinations to do bad? Or I was, I was, I was, or, or I reached a level that there is, there is no evil with inside me. Basically, he says, I never stop to think about myself. A minute before he died, he cried, he said, I don't know what happened to me. I don't know where I'm standing on this whole thing. I never had time. You know, it's like a mother who's so busy with your children that she never has time to eat. You can even, especially a mother with a few children, she's busy and the kids are very little. She runs around all day and then by three o'clock in the afternoon she discovers she didn't even eat breakfast that day. Because you're so busy with, all, with important things, you don't think about yourself. Rabbi Yohanan Bezakai was so busy throughout his life, dedicated his life for the sake of the Jewish people, and it was such a dangerous situation. He had to hold down the whole direction of the Jewish people he had to hold down. He really took the whole nation and directed them in a productive way. They shouldn't go crazy after the destruction. Don't forget the whole Metzada, our people who run away from Jerusalem and later committed suicide. You can imagine that was the atmosphere in Jerusalem, the Meshugais, the, the, the zealousness, that without, basically the, the idea was without Jerusalem, he better don't be alive. Who needs life? And Rabbi Yochanan Bezak directed order that a minute before he dies, he asked himself, and what's with me? Maybe I'm not so perfect. He was such a humble man that he cried. He says, I don't know where I'm going. 
important is clearly that somebody who directs his, his life, who dedicates his life for the Jewish people. There is no bigger heaven for a person than this person. God, that's why he sent Hizkiyahu, a person who dedicates his life for the Jewish people is the closest person to God when he's alive and for sure when he's afterlife.